Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And it's Cowboys week, so we got a jam-packed show. Every single Wednesday, we hear from General Manager Nick Casario to kick off the show. And that we will do in just a second. We'll also have in the lab with Drew Doherty. We will have DP Sidhu with her Deep Slant interview of the week with Obo Okoronkwo. And then behind the mics, Brad Sham. Longtime voice of the Cowboys and just a sweetheart of a guy. We'll join Mark in our second segment. But, like I said, let's kick it off with the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's Texans general manager, Nick Casario. Nick, great to see you. Thanks for being on with us. Uh, let's start here. I know we're going to talk about everything involved with the game and what's to come against Dallas. But with the rookies, with the younger players, it feels like from the outside looking in that some of these guys were hitting that rookie wall maybe, but they've blasted through it and they're on the other side you see a lot of production from some of the younger players especially in the game against Cleveland yeah season's really we've talked about this there's a lot of ebb and flow to the season so if you kind of break it up a little bit into quarters or halves if you will so I would say generally speaking you're going to have hopefully a decent start during the middle of the year there might be some things that you have to deal with on a lot of different levels and then hopefully, as you get the duration of the season, you can continue to see some some improvement. So, I'd say we're certainly seeing some examples of that. Um, there's been some dips in play, whether it's been individually or collectively. And then there's been, I'd say, some bright spots or some guys have taken advantage of the opportunities here as we move forward here towards the latter part of the season. So, uh, it's credit to the players um, just for their attitude and their effort and their willingness to continue to improve. Um, you know, credit to the staff to continue to work with those players. So, you know, we just have to hopefully do it more collectively as a team and not so much on an individual case by case. But it's certainly um, encouraging to see you know some of those signs. Nick, when I was looking at the the uh, flip card from the game and I looked over and on the flip card there the rookies are highlighted and and underlined and you looked at our side you looked at the brown side and you look at two teams that are built differently they got a lot of veterans we've got a lot of young players and I thought it made me think about this the evaluation stage for you how much different and how difficult is it for you because when I think back to your time in New England did you ever have a team or teams that were this young that you're kind of looking at because it felt like in New England you had a lot of veterans but then you'd mix in some rookies, but maybe not the volume of rookies or young players, even first, second year players. It's been kind of tough to think about, go back and, and, and look at a situation that you had in New England and kind of compare it to and kind of look at it that way. No, it's interesting. I think every situation is a little bit different. Your composition, your team is going to change year to year. So how those players get onto your team, um, what the mixture is, it's yeah. going to change year to year. We're in a situation where we drafted a number of young players over the last few years, so that's kind of the way they're constructed. So it's a combination of young, uh, youthful players, younger players, and we have a number of veteran players sure. as well. So when you look across the league, when you start to just look at team building and team constructions, it's inevitably going to be a mixture of the two. You know, you have call it rookies or zero to three year, then you kind of have that mid-career sort of veteran, and then you have some players that have a lot more experience, eight, nine, ten years, who have been on you know a number of different teams or have had a lot of success elsewhere. So it's kind of a melting pot of all three. We're probably a little more skewed towards the younger players. Some of our younger players are some of our better players. And it's not that you're just going to put younger players out there just to evaluate sure. them. You want to put your best players on the field. Let's say some of our younger players are some of our better players, and the only way that they're going to learn um, and improve is by playing. So there's going to be some things you're going to have to live with. Um, but ultimately, you want to see execution, you want to see improvement, you want to see progress, and ultimately, that's the most important thing. 
Well, you're seeing a defense where Petrie made a play on Sunday, and you know we know about Kurt Heinisch, Jake Hansen seeing some action as well. Young guys, Roy Lopez, year two, making plays. The defensive side of the ball played a good game on Sunday, Nick. Can you speak to that? Yeah, we did. I mean, anytime you don't give up a touchdown, I mean, that's good defense. And then to score on defense with the safety, you know, is a combination of good playing a kicking game. So we got a good punt. So good situationally, and then we're able to get a stop kind of in that backed-up situation. Say so we handled that situation defensively fairly well. We were able to get two points. Offensively, probably didn't handle as well as we would have hoped. But overall, defensively, um, you're certainly seeing some things that are better. Um, you know, we've, we've played and we've talked about this. In a red area, for the most part, you know, we've done a pretty good job from the beginning of the year until now, which I would say, you know, our red area defense is going to be taxed this week against Dallas, who is efficient, a proficient, a red area offense as there is in the league. So uh, played good in a red area, um, you know, this past week. And then in conjunction with the rest of the year, um, the run game, you know, I'd say there were some pockets there. They were able to churn out some yards, more volume more than anything else. So, um, and I'd say the tackling, you know, we've missed some tackles, but that's improved. So, you're seeing some things, so but any time you don't give up points on defense, that's usually a good thing. So it's just disappointing when we give them points offensively in, in the kicking game. But and again, we emphasize the importance of all three phases, and there was a really good example um, in real time on Sunday. Nick, the importance of a fit, and I'm talking about Jalen Petrie, because I thought it was interesting when we were in with Lovey two Mondays ago. You talked about Jalen moving back to free safety. And – that seems to really have been paying off for the defense, him being back there. He made the play, obviously, on the interception from a free safety spot. From your perspective, when you're analyzing and you're looking at players and you're thinking about what's the potential fit, how does kind of all that come together for you guys? You kind of think about, well, we think he could be this, but then you got to try and figure it out once that guy gets here. How tough does that, does that no, become? No, John, that happens a lot yeah. where you maybe say, all right, you've seen a player do this. You're not really sure how he's going to handle maybe a different situation. And you're not going to really know until you know, right. until you kind of put him in that position. But the safety position, if you look at it, there's going to be times where when you have two safeties on a field, you know, sometimes you have three safeties if sure. you're a big nickel. You know, Dallas plays a lot of that. But there's going to be split safety coverages where they're going to both have to be in a deep part of the field. And then when you play post safety coverages, how you want to deploy one's going to be down one's going to be back and how you want to kind of want to spin that so uh, Jalen's a very instinctive player um, he's an instinctive player at Baylor so he's instinctive he sees the field fairly well um, he's had his hands on more balls over the last few weeks yeah. um, he's able to complete the catch there in the end zone which is a really instinctive play when you actually watch the play because mm -hmm. it was really a double post kind of concept mm -hmm. um, or topper or whatever you want to call it and the inside player um, ran across in a, in a crossing route and, you know, quarterback is kind of looking to see what the reaction of the free safety is going to be. So I think his initial movement was to follow the cross. And then he kept his um, eyes on a quarterback. And then he worked back into the throwing window because there was a post coming behind it. So it was a really instinctive play, which playing safety is very – it's a very instinctive position. Like you have to see a lot of things. You have to understand a lot of things. You're reacting. And then reading a the quarterback is a big part of it as well. So, I mean, something as simple as just following a quarterback's eyes, reading a quarterback – and reading your keys, like those are things, those are important to defensive football players. You can talk about how fast they are, how high they jump, and all the rest of that. But ultimately, each position, there's certain requirements. Um, playing safety, you're just seeing a lot of things, a lot of space, which is why not all corners can necessarily translate transfer from corner to safety, sure. but you've seen that. So it speaks mm -hmm. to their instinctiveness, their ability to kind of handle space, their ability to handle some different adjustments. Went through that experience with Devin McCourty. You've seen it in Buffalo with Poyer and Hyde, who were both college corners. 
that kind of have transitioned to playing at the part of the field. And Jalen really played, for lack of a better term, nickel at Baylor for yeah. the most part because he was down there to line of scrimmage. So now he's kind of playing a little bit differently. So it's a, it's a good point that you make, John. You don't really know. Sometimes it goes the way you think it's going to go, and other times you say, you know what, maybe this guy handles more than we think or, you know, he's not as comfortable, so we try to do something else with him. Uh, Christian Kirksey, I want to ask you about him, Nick. Veteran, captain, he's the Texans nominee for Walter Payton Man of the Year. How special is that, and can you discuss him a little bit? Yeah, I'd say Kirko kind of embodies everything that you want in a football player, both professionally on the field and on a personal level. Um, I know his involvement um, during the spring with the Uvalde community, and I mean, him and KG, they went down there, spent a day down there on behalf of the organization. Um, but Kirko is a respected a player, I would say, that we have in the building. Um, and wherever he's been, whether it's Cleveland or Green Bay, he's been the more more well-respected players on the team. So um, a certain level of toughness and his leadership, I would say, is as good as any that we had. He does it both verbally, does it with his actions, um, and people follow him. Um, but to be recognized for, I would say, something non-football related kind of speaks to who Christian is as a person, individual. And, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have him. I mean, he made a conscious decision to be here um, when we first signed him, you know, a few years back. And then we re-signed him in the offseason. And quite frankly, he probably had other opportunities that could have gone somewhere else. And maybe it hasn't gone the way all of us or he would have hoped as well from a win-loss perspective. But that hasn't necessarily changed his mindset, his attitude week to week, what he brings to the table. So uh, he's very well deserving. He's deserving as probably anybody in the league. It's a very a prestigious honor. So for him to be recognized speaks to, to him on a lot of different levels. Nick, this week, Dallas Cowboys, Sunday night. I know we saw a fourth quarter that included a lot of mistakes by the Colts, but 33 points by the Cowboys. Pretty explosive bunch. Let's dive into the scouting report at Dallas Cowboys. What do you see? <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they're they a really good football team, uh, I'd say, on all three levels. Um, offensively, defensively, and kicking game. I think Mike's done a really good job. Mike's has accomplished uh, a head coach as there is in the league anytime you win a Super Bowl in a good organization. So I think Mike's done a good job. And I'd say they have a very experienced coaching staff when you look at the composition, um, both offensively, defensively, and then the kicking game with Bones, um, who's as good of a special teams coordinator as in the league. Um, you know, defensively, I think Dan has kind of modified some of the things that he's done over the course of his career. This isn't just the old Seattle three, but, you know, it's Dan's experience. Dan kind of worked under Pete, uh, but I'd say Dan's evolved when you look at how they're playing defensively. Um, they have George Edwards, who kind of has a background with Coach Zimmer, um, and Joe Witt, you know, who has kind of a background with, uh, you know, with Mike and Green Bay. But I would say the thing that stands out about them is just their overall athleticism, their speed, and their length. I mean, they have speed and length essentially at all three levels of the defense. Um, you know, Parsons, I mean, there's really not much that you can say about him other than he does literally everything well. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to find holes in this player in his game. Um, he's as unique a player, honestly, as there is in the league. When you look at what he done, he played off the ball at Penn State, and then he's basically transitioned to playing defensive end. Um, and he basically presents a problem wherever he is lined up. But, I mean, th he does everything well. He's fast. He's explosive. I mean, he's he's a problem, and you're going to have mm -hmm. to account for it. But their front, I would say, presents a lot of issues as well. They, I think they lead the league in sacks. They pressure the quarterback mostly from a four-down front. So between Lawrence, between Parsons, um, you know, they have a number of players that they roll through. Um, Dante Fowler's given them some snaps. Um, they're really a nickel defense. So they've kind of, we talked about this at different points. So there's yep. 65, 70% nickel defense. So whether it's big nickel with Chris and the nickel spot or Bland, the rookie who's kind of replaced uh, Jordan Lewis, 
Um, and then Van Der Esch is on the field for all groups, so he's really having a good year. So good front, good at the second level. Um, in the secondary, you know, Diggs' production on the ball is as good as any play. Anytime you touch 32, you know, get your hands on 32 balls. I know it was last year. But former receiver, really good ball skills. Um, I know Brown got hurt last night so they're, or the other night, so they're going to have to transition somebody else mm-hmm. there. Um, and they play multiple, you know, multiple safeties. They're kind of a three-safety team. So, I mean, defensively, they present a lot of problems, I'd say, with their speed, their athleticism, their effort. And Dan's done a good job of sort of modifying some of the things that they do. Offensively, they've been pretty consistent from the beginning of the year, even though when Cooper had a play. I mean, they kind of held the fort there with Coop, and Coop did a good job. And then Dax come back, and I'd say since he's come back, they've been as good of an offense as there's in the league. I mean, they're averaging 35 points a game, over 400 yards offense. Um, so Dak is playing well. Uh, good offensive line. It's a bunch of new faces, though. It's not kind of a lot of the players that have been there other than Zach. You know, Zach has been there, Martin. But they drafted Tyler Smith, you know, from Tulsa in the first round. And he's actually had to kind of play right away a tackle because of what happened to Tyron. So um, they've done a good job on the offensive line. Coach Philbin does a good job with that group. And then two really good backs. I mean, they're really – pick a winner. Like, yeah. they're, they kind of complement each other. They're both a problem when they're on the field. And they're 12 and kind of 11 personnel, but they play three and four tight ends at different points. So between Schultz, between Ferguson, um, you know, the rookie out of uh, out of Wisconsin, McKeon. So so they and they uh, C.D. Lamb um, is as good a receiver there is in the league, um, and they use him a variety of different spots. I think he's targeted as I mean a top five in terms of targets in the league. So. I mean, they're really a good – they're a good team. And in the kicking game, uh, you know, Anger's done a pretty good job for them. Brent Maher's done a good job. And then Turpin is really giving them some plays of return yeah. kind of out of nowhere. So, uh, very athletic, very explosive team. I mean, that game was 21-13 to 13 or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, it got out of hand with a handful mm-hmm. of plays. So, you know, just want to try to keep it, you know, in the same zip code there for a little bit. But they have a lot of really good players. And they've done a good job, I would say, of drafting and developing a number of good players. Nick, is Dak Prescott another good example of you never know where good quarterbacks are going to come from? And we've seen, we're going to see him now. We saw Tyler or Taylor Heineke a couple of weeks ago and Russell Wilson against Denver. I know he was originally drafted in the third round, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a good point, Mark. So um, Dak, when he came out, um, they played a certain way offensively. And I think there were some questions about whether how good he did certain things. But the one thing about him, he's tough as hell and he's athletic and he's very strong. And he's gotten better, and he's improved in a number of different ways. They do a good job offensively. Um, Kellen does a good job. They're very balanced. They get the ball out quick. They don't hold the ball. uh, Dak makes good decisions, and he's accurate with the ball. So he's improved as a player from the time that he's been in the league to where he is now, and he continues to get better. Um, But I think it's a good example of you just – you never know where the players are going to come from. You can think, well, we have to draft them here, and that's going to end up in whatever the end result. It doesn't always go that way. I think it's a credit to the players, it's a credit to the staff, it's a credit to the infrastructure and the overall program for the development of the player. Nick, I'm totally fascinated by Parsons' evolution because I don't remember at Penn State seeing him rush the edge at all, and then all of a sudden in Dallas, you look up and he's rushing the edge, and you're like, wait, what's going on? And he's really good. Wait, he's not only really good, he could be one of the best in the league at this. Oh my gosh, he might be the best in the league. And he didn't even do that at Penn State. And it kind of goes back to my question about you get a guy here and then you have an idea of what you think he can do. And then he shows you, no, 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 I can do a whole heck of a lot more. I'm totally fascinated by that evolution, what he can do going from one position that he didn't even play to now being a superstar, complete, total game wrecker from a different position. 
yeah, I'll even go one step further. He opted out of yeah, his play last for a year. year. So yeah. he didn't play for a year. So the last time you actually saw him play football would have been 19 because yep. he opted out in 20. And then when they drafted him, you saw them use him a little bit in the preseason. I was watching a Hall of Fame game when you know when he was a rookie and they were using him a little bit defensive end, and it was probably more, well, it's an opportunity to maybe see if he can rush. Uh, the thing that makes him so unique is his balance, his lower body flexibility, and his explosiveness, and he's very strong for his size. So there are games – now, I'd say he's transitioned this year to more full-time defensive end. There are certain games where we play him off the ball. They played him off the ball a little bit more against Green Bay because of probably how they were playing versus Aaron and Aaron, yeah. you know, two, you know, Rodgers and Jones. Um, but it's he's he's so unique. You really he's like Von Miller as an edge rusher with the ability to play off the ball yeah. linebacker. So when you put that together, like there are not too many people that fit that profile. Yeah. So, um, but they've done a really good job. Dan's done a good job, of maybe having a vision of what they wanted to do with him and how they played. And it kind of accentuates the player's strength. So, you know, they have Van Der Esch off the ball. They have Barr, kind of Barr to, um, you know, some other guys in there if, you know, they're not going to use Parsons. But, I mean, Parsons is a problem, like, wherever he is. And he can play on both sides. So, it, which speaks to I – mean, he's obviously a very smart guy. He's very instinctive. Um, and he has a, a unique skill set, quite frankly, that, you know, it's hard to duplicate. We know you want to move the ball better, and against Cleveland, able to move it on the ground. A couple of games where that just wasn't happening. Now Pierce comes around, didn't erupt or anything, but got the yardage going on the ground. Is that going to help the passing game moving forward here, Nick? Yeah, you always want to try to stay as balanced as you can. So we were able to turn out some yards there in a running game, had some positive runs. Um, you know, we were able to break a few runs there for, you know, 8, 10, 12 yards, whatever it was. So the more we can run the ball, it just kind of creates more balance. So in the end, you want to be balanced. You don't want to be skewed one way or the other. I mean, we ended up kind of 39, 40 to 20 or whatever it was. So try to maintain some modicum of balance. Um, and however we have to move the ball, um, you know, I think this defense just presents you know a number of problems. So we're just going to figure out what's the most efficient way to do it. So the offense line did a good job. You know, DP did a pretty good job running. So you know, see if we can certainly build on that here going against the Cowboys this week. Nick, I want to ask you about Nico Collins and kind of his evolution as a player through two years what have you what have you seen from him and what do you what do you think his ceiling could end up being uh going forward yeah nico works hard um he's improved i would say his overall strength and his athleticism his movement uh, his big target has strong hands um i think the biggest thing is to continue to just each week be consistent uh take advantage of the opportunities kind of misconnected with him you know a few times where we weren't able to get um on the same page so he's targeted 10 times only had three catches so just want to see you know a better ratio on that, um, but he has good attributes relative to playing the position, um, and he's certainly shown the propensity to be able to make some plays, you know, whether it's down the field, contested, or, you know, some of the inside breaking routes. I mean, he's a big, strong guy, kind of uses his body well. So just kind of continue to take advantage of his opportunities. But, you know, Nico's a good kid. He works hard. He's got a good attitude, um, and he's he's improved, I would say, physically in some of his, you know, his lower body strength and some of that. So you want to continue to uh, improve those areas and then kind of um, – see on-field improvement you know as well nick one more for you here outside of nrg stadium or your couple decades in new england outside of gillette stadium what stadium to you is kind of cool to go to because at&t arlington it's a unique experience no matter how you slice it we were at sofi this year we were in vegas what is what stands out to you yeah i i think just the overall size and the vastness of when you walk in i mean big scoreboard it just seems like it's a very big stadium, which it is. I mean, it accommodates up to, I don't know, 100,000 yeah. or whatever it is. So I would say it's kind of has its own unique environment. I'd say the other environment that I hadn't been in 
um, in a regular season, but you know when we played there, and I want to say it was fourteen, was Lambeau Field. Like when you mm-hmm. walk into Lambeau Field in, in November, <laughs> yeah. packed house. I mean, there's just something about it. So there's a lot of really cool, unique stadiums throughout the league. Um, certainly, AT and T is in that category. It's different, but when you contrast that with a place like Lambeau, they're <laughs> they kind of have their own flavor to them. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the scoreboard's massive. So we have to make sure we keep the uh, ball off the scoreboard when we're kicking. <laughs> Nick, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thanks, guys. A former underling of Nick Casario, John Robinson, was fired yesterday with the Tennessee Titans. Mark and I have not had a chance to comment on that. And what's the state of the AFC South? Frank Reich is gone. John Robinson gone. What happens to Chris Ballard, Trent Falke? All of that next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris alongside Mark Vandermeer, who sticks around with me. Mark, we've got plenty to talk about with this Dallas game. We're going to get to that in just a second. But you and I found out the news about John Robinson, general manager of the Tennessee Titans, being fired at this point of the year. There's there's so many different uh, avenues to take a look at in this one. But I just want to start here. Your gut reaction to seeing that news about John Robinson being fired, the general manager of the Tennessee Titans. Mike Vrabel wants to make the decisions, doesn't want Robinson around. Robinson's made some good moves. There's no question about that. you got to give him a ton of credit because he came in in 2016, did not draft Marcus Mariota. So there he has him. And look, they're able to have a couple of good seasons with a combination of Wizenhunt Malarkey first year, then Malarkey the second year. Then they show Malarkey the door. Robinson, he hired Vrabel. He's the guy who hired Vrabel. All right. So all this shifting of not blame, but credit or blame, however (laughs) you want to call it, of this firing to the ownership is, to me, incorrect. We all know that this is Vrabel. If Vrabel did not want Robinson gone, he's not gone. There's conflict. There are egos in the room. I get it. You want to be able to make the decisions. You want to shop for the groceries. We've seen it before in this league, and that's what Vrabel wants. And you know what? You could argue he deserves it. Go ahead, because he's been a heck of a head coach for this team. And they also, Johnny, I want to get your reaction to this, because I think they're reading the situation correctly here. And the Texans were in a somewhat similar situation where, hey, you're going places, but you're not going far enough, right? The Texans made the big move for Osweiler in 2016, thinking, okay, this is a franchise quarterback acquisition. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's not. (laughs) They go ahead and trade up to get Watson in 2017. But they were kind of in that mode of, all right, we're winning the division, getting into the postseason, but it's not nearly enough. It's not the ultimate goal, and that's where the Titans are. They have not won a playoff game since the day before the Texans played their last playoff game. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Right, right, because they beat the Ravens on that Saturday night, right. The day before 24-0, they beat the Ravens. That's the last time they won a playoff game. Been back twice since, all right, but they haven't been able to win any. You, you're smiling. You you like my little way of putting well, that, don't you? you it makes you, it sound you, you, like we've been exactly the same as the Titans over this period of time. I mean, there are just certain things you can say, and it's funny you say that because when I say 1910, you know exactly what that means. And, I mean, everybody does. Texas yeah. fans do. Mm-hmm. You say 24 to nothing, and every single Texas fan is like, oh, they have the same reaction oh, I did. Because mm-hmm. you don't have to say, well, and the Chiefs beat the Texans or the Chiefs beat the Texans in the divisional round in 2019. You just have to say 24 nothing. Everybody knows, oh, yeah, we know how that went, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I find the AFC South to be fascinating. If you think about GM head coach throughout the division, the Indianapolis Colts 
fire Frank Wright back week 10, I think it was. And I always thought Frank Reich was a really formidable opponent. I thought he was very good with the offense. I thought those players responded to him. I think the biggest feather in the cap to me for Frank Reich was how much the defensive players went to bat for Frank. That mm. I always thought was kind of interesting. So now Frank's gone. Now John Robinson, who, yes, made his mistakes. There's no doubt. In 2016, his first year GM, GM, he drafted Kevin Dodd from out of Clemson. That just, oh. But with the other second-round pick he got, he got Derrick Henry. Yeah. 2020, Isaiah Wilson. Oh, my gosh. That was absolutely brutal. But he also drafted Kevin Bayard. Uh, he stuck his neck out there for Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, and those have definitely panned out. Uh, it's Nate Davis in the third round. He's made a number of big selections. And then, of course, in 2020, he drafted A.J. Brown, Arthur Juan Brown, who then went to Philadelphia. And, of course, when you see your mistake up close and personal, and I say mistake, trading A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles, I can't look at anything more but a mistake because that guy was – the identity. He was the dude. He was that guy. When Henry would get slowed down, you just threw it to 11 and he right. took care of it. And yes, I know they drafted Traylon Burks. I get it. But that was a guy that you had to keep around. I mean, that was, I don't say face of the franchise sort of thing, but he was kind of the face in the locker room. He was the guts and the nuts of that team. You put him next to a guy like Ben Jones and you got Tannehill who's tough. And all of a sudden, you take one of those pieces out, and he's the most productive piece, and then you see it up close and personal on Sunday, and he dominates you, and you're like, what? And I, and, and so from that standpoint, I don't know how much that played in. I don't know how much actually trading him played in. I don't know any of that. But I just find this odd because John Robinson, I thought, was a very good GM. And for as much as we say about GMs, oh, he missed this, he missed that, he missed this, it's so easy to say that. But when you look at the other side, you look at the makes too. Yeah. GM's not going to make 100% of every right deal. You're going to throw some stuff at the wall sometimes and it just won't stick and it just won't work. But if you turn around and you make good selections, you make good trades. I mean, I guarantee you, Bill Belichick, do you think everything he's done? He, shot, he signed Chad Ochocinco back in 09. How did that go? Miserably. I was going to say with Belichick. Yeah, with Belichick, but, you know, he's winning Super Bowls. He's going to Super Bowls. The Titans aren't. Boom. They want to set a higher standard. But, Johnny, go back to it here for a moment. You mentioned Wright getting shown the door and the OC the week or so before that. Yeah. Before the season, if you had to handicap general manager to be fired first in the AFC South, you probably would have said bulky. Because yeah, Trent Balky for sure. Yep. Because I would figure he might lose a power struggle with Doug Peterson somehow, right? Yep. Peterson would Absolutely. gain confidence with ownership, and then he would be doing this sort of play with ownership, dismissing the general manager. And then when Wright got dismissed, you thought, well, maybe Ballard. It's got to be Ballard now, right? No right. way is it Robinson. And right. Nick just got here also, it feels like. So no way is it Robinson but it is. So stuff was going on that we didn't know about. Now you look at it hindsight. You mentioned all the acquisitions that didn't work out. You talk about the ones that did, but it really boils down to disagreements, how to break ties, ownership, not wanting to break these ties and Brable wanting control of the situation, just like O'Brien wanted here. And yep. again, I get it. We talk about it all the time. 
Shanahan and Andy Reid and these coaches who have control and they have general managers working with them, but they can have final say. No, I don't want that guy. Now, I do believe, you know, O'Brien here set it up differently. I do believe you need the general manager to go ahead and do the work. A lot right. of people report to him. It's not just player acquisition. It's also, you know, this is also pertaining to the Astros situation. It's not just player acquisition. In baseball, you're running the whole minor league system. You have all those scouts reporting to you. All of that talent acquisition, it's a gigantic web that you control, a network that you control. In football, there's a lot of stuff in the building that goes on that people don't even talk about that filters up to the general manager, right? Or filters yep. down from him with his commands and, and whatever else he decides to do. So there's a lot to it here. You need a guy, and Vrabel just wants to have final say over the personnel and he feels like he's smart at it. And I, I have, would have to give it to him. You got to give him a chance here, but you just don't want it to go crazy with bad acquisitions, bad trades, things that don't make sense. And, you know, I don't think he'll be like that, but we'll just have to wait and see. You bring up a great point um, about the Astros, by the way. Mm -hmm. Well, they have a flat structure now. Is that the way we're, we're calling it? They have a flat structure with Houston Astros. I don't know if they're calling I mean, it I don't that. Know. I don't, I don't know, know if they're calling it that. And and I think that they are still deciding how they're going to handle it. You know, yeah. they're sort of working through it right now. They got a lot of people working, but you know, Jim Crane runs the Astros and Jim Crane's a super smart guy. And he knows a lot about the sport and uh, everybody's got to ask him, you know, it's not like Jeff Bagwell can run off and make a trade or sign a player. Crane is the man and they all know it. So I don't think it's that flat. I mean, yeah. you could say below him, it's not a clear hierarchy right now to the outside world, but I'm sure he has his ways of doing things and you can't really question him right now because they're winning championships. So in Jacksonville, you got Doug Peterson, Trent Balky and Balky was kind of on the ropes in some mm -hmm. sense. There were some coaches that turned down that job because Byron Leftwich, namely uh, that had said he wanted to bring his own GM and then the Khan family said, no, uh, then Doug Peterson took the job and worked with Trent Balky and felt like Balky over the last couple of years has put together a couple of good drafts, made a couple of really good signings. And I think Jacksonville just the Jaguars to me just have to get to a point where they can they can win. They learn how to win and win consistently. Um, you know, they have that big win against Baltimore, but then they go to Detroit and they get it handed to them. So it's they need a, right. they need consistency. And so maybe Balky and Peterson are the way to go. What do you think happens with Chris Ballard in Indianapolis? Because yeah. we don't know who's going to be the head coach. There's been a lot of talk out there about Jim Harbaugh. But that mm -hmm. was an organization I looked at as far as continuity's sake. I worried about them because Frank Reich with Chris Ballard, I always worried about them. That, man, if they could solve the quarterback thing, holy smokes, they were going to be a tough organization. But now Reich's out. I don't know what that means for Ballard. And then now you got Tennessee now looking for a GM. AFC South, just to me, Mark, is just odd and strange and weird and yet a ton of opportunity going on too. Yeah, there's there's drama here. And look, people are writing off the Titans after what happened against Philadelphia. I'm not ready to do that. You know, in a one-game situation in January, anything can happen. We've seen it. They'll get a home game because they'll win the division. And no matter who goes in there, if they get hot, if they're able to run the ball, if Tannehill doesn't turn it over, they're capable of beating a lot of teams. So I'm not going to write them off yet. I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl team. But as far as Ballard goes with the Colts, you have to wonder what Jim Irsay is thinking 
do I really want to rebuild this thing from scratch? I mean, I got Chris Ballard here for crying out loud. You know, Jeff Saturday doesn't look like it's working great. Maybe he loves Saturday and Saturday is going to have some sort of senior role with the organization or he goes back to TV. I don't know, but I doubt he's the head coach on opening day of 2023. If I were Ursay, I'd let Ballard build it. But how does Ballard feel right now? Well, ownership really, you get the feeling that he didn't want Reich gone. But again, we don't know that for sure yeah. with Chris Ballard. Uh, you get the feeling that he wanted to keep playing Matt Ryan, even though it wasn't going great because Sam Ellinger just wasn't ready. And everybody in football could see that. And maybe the owner didn't, and he acted alone in this decision. But these are things we don't know for sure, Johnny. There's not a lot of transparency, and I get it. You're not going to expect that. This is going to be fascinating to watch in the offseason. But I'll tell you one thing. The Robinson dismissal, it's not just the division here. It's the entire league. Yeah. What the Robinson dismissal does is make a lot of owners and coaches maybe think deeply, even more deeply than usual, about who their general manager is, is the general manager taking them into the right place, right? right. So right. these teams that are winning, they're contending, but are they really contending? Do they need something else? Then you start looking deeply at all these acquisitions. Well, what about that one? What about this one? And then maybe they get a coach who wants power and gets in power. You know, a lot of teams around the league are kind of like that. And it, it's fascinating because what the league does, as you know, is set precedent all over the place with moves like this uh, and, it's a copycat league, positively and negatively. So we'll see how it plays out. All right, your gut reaction. Lovey Smith announced it. It was reported earlier on Wednesday morning. Davis Mills back as the starting quarterback for your Houston Texans to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Your gut reaction. Has anyone put out that gift with the Undertaker coming out of the? <laughs> you know, he rises, He's rising like, from the dead. Like I'm back. <laughs> yeah, hey, I have not you know seen what it. This no. is. This is freshly sat Mills. This is not Mills beginning season Mills. This is Mills after a break. And we've seen it before, Johnny. Yep, Mills after a break has the power, has the execution. I don't know. I'm kind of talking myself into it right here. Of but course. I want to see it. I'm here to see it, Johnny. Because if I'm Davis Mills, I'm thinking, okay, I got a new lease on life here. I get a chance to prove it. I get a chance to start and make something really special happen. If I can go up there and we can pound the ball and I can make some key throws and not turn it over, maybe, just maybe, we can cover. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe, just maybe, we can put together the upset, and I'm here for it. Look, I just think Mills wants to play well, wants to prove that he belongs. This is a great opportunity for him, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't play a lot better than he did. But there's a lot of room between where he was and the guy in 2023. And, you know, I don't know where he falls into that scale, right? Yep. Uh, I'd love to see him just totally ball out in the next five games and all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, it's a revelation. He sat and it's things are completely different. We don't know where it's going to go from here. But I like it. I like going back to Davis here. It was really rough for Kyle Allen. And hopefully the team responds. Everybody rallies around Mills. And they play a whole lot better against Dallas on Sunday. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. And, I, and you know, going back to Davis, the one thing that we noticed when he came back last year was things happened quicker. He was more decisive. Uh, he knew where he wanted to go with the football. And if it wasn't there, he went and found somebody else. And they moved the football. Um, I think about the Jaguars game. He made a couple of very key throws in that Jaguars game. The Chargers game, he just owned it from the beginning. The Tennessee game, you know, the second half, he obviously got dialed into Danny Amendola. So the thing with Davis is we know it's there. We've, we've seen it. 
and we just haven't seen it a- enough this year. And maybe this is that time against Dallas where, okay, Dallas's defense is is pretty solid. I mean, when you when you look at the numbers, the defense against the ground is not very good. They give up about 130 yards per game. That's 24th in the NFL. But against the pass, they're second in the league, giving up just 180 yards because they've got Trayvon Diggs and a really athletic secondary. But they also force quarterbacks to throw the football because they got Micah Parsons uh, and Demarcus Lawrence, and those guys get after it up front. But Mark, no matter what happens, you win, lose. I, I want to see the offense go on the field, have some confidence, and move the football and put pressure on opposing defenses. And I feel like it's been a while since that happened. I felt like against the Raiders, after the bye, that happened. But since then, maybe it's only happened at moments against the Giants. It definitely happened against the Eagles for a lot of that night. But since then, it's really not been the offense dictating to the defense. It has been trying to hold up against the defense as opposed to attacking it. So if anything else, my hope is that Davis and the offense push the pedal, get going 75, 80 miles an hour in the left lane, and just open it up a little bit. And I'm not talking trick plays and throwbacks like we saw the other day. I'm just talking about effective. These are the throws that are there. Make the throws quickly on point. Get rid of the football and let's move it. Let's protect it. But I don't want to get in this hermit crab sort of offense either. Where all we do is we're kind of like we're so scared of turning the ball over that we take a check down on on third down, third nine. I want to push the ball a little bit. I don't mind a turnover if we're being aggressive with the football. Where I get upset is when we're turning the ball over and we're doing it on a quarterback sneak or we're doing it on a screen. Yeah. You know, yeah. those are the things that get me frustrated yeah. pushing, pushing the ball down the field throwing a dig route if guy makes a great play makes a great play and picks arm up that's punts. fine but push yeah. it let's go yeah and the occasional arm punt fine right yeah. you just don't want to turn it over in obvious don't do this situations like watermelon seed fumbles when you're coming out of your one with the quarterback sneak play and the tip ball the other day man those were highly damaging mm. and look special teams I'm confident they're going to get back to Frank Ross vintage special teams, which is make plays, right? And get a good return, get one or two really good returns and hopefully catch Dallas thinking, well, we're supposed to win this game, right? I know there's some bit of human nature applied to that. No Anthony Brown in the secondary look uh, of all the Dallas defenders and, you know, happy healing to him, but of all the Dallas defenders, you'd, preferred not to see Micah Parsons. I mean, there's yeah. some, the list is long of people before you, before you get to Anthony Brown, Trayvon Diggs. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Stick you know, the day the, off guys, these guys are all going to They're on the one hand, you think, well, maybe they take it lightly, you know? And again, I, I think too much is made of that sort of stuff in this league. On the other hand, you think, are they looking at this as a stats game potentially? Right. right? right. So, and maybe both ways of looking at it, are in the same hemisphere and they're highly damaging to the opponent because if you are able to run the ball well with Damian Pierce and convert at the end of those drives, you get it into Dallas territory, you get it down deep, you actually get sevens instead of threes a couple of times, you know, maybe you can force the issue a bit. Maybe you get a takeaway or two because Dak Prescott can give it up. I know he's been trending better since coming back into the lineup. It was a little shaky at first, maybe a lot. Uh, but it's been getting better for him. Uh, maybe just maybe you can make some hay that way. But I, 
big picture here, Davis Mills has five games left. He had five games left last year, played better like you pointed out, five games left this year. Make the most of it. You know, make the Texans organization have to think very hard about what they're going to do with the quarterback position. I don't know if it's going to change their minds, but if you're Davis, you got to do the best thing for your career, which is play well and show that you belong in this league and you deserve another opportunity somehow in 2023, no matter what the role is. Yeah, no doubt. Von Miller is out for the rest of the season with an ACL tear. I'll go around the NFL next, discuss that and plenty of other things, including Texas injury report, which still not totally a clean sheet, which we would like. We'll do that next at Texas All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Let's go around the NFL and look at the Texans injury report because it was a little bit longer than I wanted it to be, or anybody wanted it to be, but Von Miller, I teased, out for the year having ACL surgery. Man, that's a crushing blow for the Bills. That was the perfect piece for that team. Von Miller out for the season. The Rams claimed Baker Mayfield. Matt Stafford out for the year. They get a five-game spin on Baker Mayfield, see what he can do with that Sean McVay offense. I'll be interested. I'll be watching the Rams see what Baker Mayfield can do, and hopefully Baker Mayfield wins a few games, get them away from any semblance of the number one pick, keep us right there with that margin for error. So Baker Mayfield going to the Los Angeles Rams at least for the uh, next five weeks, and we'll see what he's uh, able to do. Now, Texans injury report long, unfortunately. DMPs on Wednesday. Mario Addison knee. Malik Collins is a rest day for the vet. Nico Collins the foot. Brandy Cooks with the calf. Troy Harrison dealing with that chest injury. Kirk Heinis shoulder. Jerry Hughes, that's his veteran rest day. And Derek Stingley dealing with that hamstring, but also he was sick today. Limited participation. Oh, my goodness. Kaimi Fairbairn, groin. The last thing you want to see is your kicker dealing with a groin issue. And then full participation, Garrett Wilder ankle. For the Cowboys, Jonathan Hankins, personal day. Kelvin Joseph and Sam Williams, both ill. Quentin Bohanna, Jaron Curse. Jaron Curse, Demarcus Lawrence, they were all limited participants. Demarcus, you can just take the week off, bro. Just take the week off. Other than that, uh, no real big names on the Cowboys injury report. Ton of big names for the Texans on their injury report. So, yikes. But it's Wednesday. Hopefully things can get better. Speaking of the Cowboys, let's kick off the second hour going men behind the mics. Mark Vandermeer with longtime Cowboys voice Brad Sham. That's next right here on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and a big fan of these next two individuals. Obviously, one of them is one of my best friends and co-worker, Mark Vandermeer, who I've worked with for a long time. But you can't help but be respectful of a guy that respects the profession as much as Brad Sham does, the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. And Mark and Brad sat down and talked about this one. This is fun stuff. It's men behind the mics. Brad Sham of the Cowboys with our own Mark Vandermeer. Mark? Brad, always a pleasure to catch up with you and just paint the picture for me how it's going. It looks so good against the Colts on Sunday night. Tremendous victory, tremendous fourth quarter, and overall, things are progressing well for the Dallas Cowboys. Your thoughts? Well, they're doing um, – They, I mean, there's no question they're doing well, uh, but it's been such an interesting season because uh, the vibe in town was very negative throughout the off season and training camp, they got rid of Amari Cooper and um, didn't replace him with what the public thought was equal value. They signed J 
James Washington, who hasn't played yet, and drafted Jalen Tolbert, who's done next to nothing. But my point is they were addressing the vacancy. But there was a lot of stuff that went into not bringing Cooper back. But the public sees Cooper's gone. They were going to re-sign Randy Gregory until they didn't. Uh, the 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 kicker was the, the two kickers they wanted to try both were found lacking, so they signed someone they've had before, and he was not uh, greeted with enthusiasm by by the Vox Populi, and mm-hmm. uh, the the uh, left tackle is a rookie, and the people thought they drafted uh, a, they overdrafted, and. Uh, they're not too sure about the rest of the offensive line, and they want to know if the defense can continue to play. That was the that was the vibe coming into the season. It was really one of the most negative uh, off-season vibes uh, for a team that was 12 and five that I could imagine. A lot of it had to do with losing the playoff game. People are very very spoiled up here, and. Um, and by the way, the owner wasn't happy with it either. And then mm-hmm. in the first game, they play very poorly and lose the quarterback. So people are literally saying, well, that's it. Flush the season. Play for the draft choice. And no one expected a few things. No one expected Cooper Rush to uh, be able to hold his own and play well and for the defense to uh, compliment him and for the rookie left tackle to play beyond his years and for the kicker to be a revelation and for the defense to appear to have taken the step you would hope from last year and just everything that everybody thought was wrong uh, suddenly wasn't so wrong. Now you win four games with your backup quarterback and you're not supposed to win any that people think. And so, uh, so now nobody really knows what to think. And now the quarterback comes back and he looks okay in the first game. And uh, then they start rolling and they're playing offense a little differently. He's throwing interceptions, but, but they're able to uh, work around him and he is getting better. And, you know, people, as you well know, Mark, you get a good player who misses uh, a quarter of the season. When he comes back, he's not, in week whatever it is. He's not in week sure. six. He's in week two. And it takes a while, especially at that position. So things have evolved now to the point where, while nobody was paying attention, um, the offense got to be pretty productive. And um, the only game they've lost, uh, really, since uh, Prescott came back, was uh, the game in Green Bay that they had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. And you're you're not allowed to lose those, and it wasn't a good game for them. You would have, you would have maybe suggested that they had a better chance to beat Green Bay than Minnesota, but that's that's why we're that's why we're not coaching. So it's been an unusual year, it, one in which there was not the great positive buildup, and when things started going well, people didn't believe it, and I don't know if they do yet, but they're playing well. The offense is playing well. And uh, the and the defense has had some concerns with the running game, but they're they're making some tweaks and improvements. And and uh, again, complimentary football is the whole key. It's what everyone wants to play. But when your offense plays in a way that uh, allows your defense to take chances and vice versa, 
and you've got a solid kicking game, then you got a chance to be successful. So uh, for me, you know, my attitude is they're fun to watch. They're playing well. They're winning way more than they're losing. And uh, I, I think they've had a good year. For most fans up here, I think nobody believes it uh, until they do something that they haven't done in a while. Brad Cham, voice of the Cowboys, with us on Texans Radio. Brad, we do a segment here called Who's Better? Well, I'm going to ask you what's better. Is it the offense or the defense of the Cowboys? Because here you are, your top four in scoring in both categories, both sides of the football, able to run the ball well. Which is better, the offense or the defense this year so far? You know, it's a really good question because you wouldn't have gotten the same answer at any point. You would have That would have been a slam dunk for defense until uh, probably about a month or so ago, but the way the offense has been playing, CD lamb has grown into being the number one receiver. Both running backs are playing well and uh, very much embracing the role of sharing the job. Um, there sometime in the next couple of weeks, they're probably going to get Tyron Smith back at left tackle. I, I would, if, if I had to pick one right now, I'd say the offense and that's just a, uh, tribute to the way they're going in the last month but the defense is what's going to carry and you get into uh and you know this mark you get into cold weather you get into playoff situations the teams you're playing are better the schemes are different and you can derail a good offense a good defense will travel and doesn't none of it matters so right now i would say the offense is playing better which one is better um, I think we're going to have to let that play out to answer. All right, Brad, I want to ask you this. You mentioned people are spoiled, that kind of thing, the fan base in the DFW area. But I have to ask you, it's been a long time since the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl and really blazing big trails through the postseason. And a lot of years have gone by. What is the fan base like now? Because you have a lot of people entering the fan base who might have never experienced that or did when they were very young and maybe too young to remember in some cases. So, Discuss that dynamic for me in Dallas and how it plays out. We hear it all the time, and that is the problem. See, my, my personal um, orientation is I, I grew up and remain a Cub fan, and I learned a long time ago that the joy for me is in the journey. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's not in the final result. I don't have to have my team – win a championship for me to enjoy and appreciate the season. I think that most fans are not like that today, and they're certainly not here. And the way that manifests as it regards the Cowboys, it is to blame um, Jerry Jones, even though people could not give you most of the time, if you, if you say, if they said, well, it's Jerry, Jerry's the, because Jerry and his family, now Steven, he's starting to get some of the hate. Uh, they are the um, common denominators through all of the years since they were last in even a championship game. And so if you try to have a, 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 an informed conversation and say, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. Tell me how. Show me how they have uh, the the ownership has been the reason that they haven't won. They can't do that, 
but it's just well, he's the only thing that's been there all the t- all the whole time. So um, I, I suspect if if we could get Wade Phillips and Jason Garrett uh, and um, uh, maybe even Mike uh, McCarthy to sit down and really open up and be completely honest, they would have some interesting things to say about the dynamic of what makes this job a little different. All the stuff going on with Beckham right now is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many places it would happen quite like this. But, uh, you know, the franchise is successful and and uh, he owns it. And I, I'm hard-pressed, Mark, to tell you the way that the Joneses have kept them from winning another championship. They're not afraid to spend money. They certainly... Um, they certainly want to win. They provide all the resources. They may have made some mistakes in uh, hiring coaches from time to time. And I, I, and I do think that there might have been some times in the last 25 or 30 years when maybe they were a little bit more involved uh, on a day-to-day basis. But that hasn't been the case in a very, very long time. People think that Jerry Jones medals. He doesn't medal. He's never meddled, really. He, he. Uh, sometimes I think his biggest flaw is listening to is, is uh, that that the last person that gets to him influences him the most. And uh, but there's a lot of reasons, you know. Like in in '07, Wade Phillips' first year, I think they had one of the best chances to advance that they have had ever, and they lost the first round of the Giants for whatever reason big probably compendium of reasons and that was an opportunity that got away from them the fact is that what they're going to do here if they keep going i mean they haven't done it yet but if they make the playoffs i I think it's the first in fact i know i just looked it up again it's the first time in 15 years that they have made the playoffs in consecutive years so that's been a long enough time for the exact things that you pointed out that that's that alone is not going to do it for people anymore. Now they, and then if they win the Super Bowl, that that won't be any credit to them, and they'll want to know what's going to happen the next year. I, I would love to have people tell me, would you would you take a Rams situation? Would you would you to win a Super Bowl now, and then fall apart, and who knows how, for how long with the resources they gave up to get their Super Bowl? Would you do that? Um, I'd be interested to hear what people would say but i don't think there's any one reason that they have not uh, played in the last game or made a deep run in the playoffs Uh, i think there are there are a variety of reasons and and no two teams are the same i always think those questions are interesting because first of all that's not an option to make that decision and if you do load up to try to get there you might not get there and then what so see how it plays out right Brad Sham, voice of the Cowboys, with us on Texans Radio. Okay, allow me to indulge here, Brad, because for those who are old enough to remember, or however you want to look at it, which era is remembered more fondly, in your opinion? The Jimmy Johnson Super Bowl era or Tom Landry in the 70s Super Bowl era? Can you discuss that? Depends who you're asking, honestly, because uh, as you pointed out accurately, there are a lot of Cowboy fans who are grown-ups with their own families now who didn't see the Landry years. Mm-hmm. And, and so they would say Jimmy. They would say the 90s. The ones who are huh, my age, 
and, and remember both of them. Um, I don't know what they'd say. The, the, the eras were different from each other because the game, the way the game was played, and it's different from how it is now. But, um, you know, they played with not even a hint of free agency in the 70s. At least in the 90s, they, they had Plan B. But there, there was um, – it was kind of indentured servitude uh, in, in the 70s. And so um, they, they could just – like colleges used to be able to do, have 100 guys on hand, and if you didn't like one, run him off. And if one got hurt, just bring in another good one. And, and you could kind of do that in the NFL. Now, the Cowboys did it with – I would point to this. I don't know if it answers the question, but I would point to this. The um, era of the 70s, that was a, a, an unparalleled – period of time where they had winning seasons and were in the playoffs for like 20 consecutive years. Mm. I'm not sure we'll ever see that again. Mm. I think that the, I think that the salary cap and free agency uh, dictate against that kind of consistency going on. So what, what new England has kind of done and to a somewhat lesser degree, Pittsburgh, in terms of uh, just continued continued competitiveness, I think that's rare. So I, I don't know what the right answer is, but for me, the group that was in the 70s, you know, they, they, they started making the playoffs uh, in the late 60s. They went to a Super Bowl in 70 and won it in 71. And then I think from then until uh, really the mid-'80s, they, they only had one losing season. And that, that's a long time. And I, I think that deserves a nod. I remember that in the mid-'80s, and it was such a headline. It was such a seismic thing that the Cowboys were not able to have winning season. My goodness. Uh, one more quickie. I guess maybe it's not a quickie about this, though. Tom Landry, is he properly remembered or does he get disregarded too often when we're having conversations about the greatest coaches ever? I don't think he gets disregarded. I, I think he's, I think he's properly remembered. He won the games that he won. He was very much in charge of, of the football team. Uh, he, he essentially put it together and had a complete full reign coaching. And he was amazingly uh, innovative. So I've, I've never seen any sign that, that Tom didn't get what I would consider to be the respect that he earned. Okay, so back to now, Brad. Here we are. Season's winding down. You have the Texans on Sunday. In the AFC South, you'll have the Titans on the road coming up in a few weeks. They made news this week. But your projection on how this thing could play out for the Dallas Cowboys throughout the rest of the campaign? It, it could play out in more than one way, Mark. The the uh, Mike McCarthy said something to me the other day that really kind of brought me up short. He said, "If we, I was asking him a question about is he seeing any rookies hitting a rookie wall because we're at that point now where the rookies are now yeah. they're in their bowl game and they got a half a dozen games to play." And he said, "Well, he said, you know, if you're if you're having a good year, if your team is good, and your goal is to play the last game, and that's what ours is." that if you count the number of games between now, he said this uh, before, just before the game with the Colts the other night. And he said, if you, if you go from now 
to where we're trying to get to, we're only halfway through that. Mm. And that made me go, yikes, that sounds like there's a lot left, which is the plan. Yeah. So they are still growing. I think they're still growing on both sides of the ball. I don't think they've played. It doesn't mean they'll get to where they can get to, but I think they can get better. I know that the offense is uh, capable of and is starting to really be consistent. They've got to cut down on the interceptions, but um, they're scoring and converting third downs and um, doing all the right things offensively in the last month. And uh, there's no particular indication that that's going to change. And I think that there, you know, it takes a long time to come back from an ACL. Michael Gallup is just now starting to be Michael Gallup again. And so the, the, the things that can happen, you know, if Tyron Smith, I like the way they, they have a plan for working guys back in from injury. And, you know, if Tyron's able to work back in and, Tyler Smith's been a revelation at left tackle, but there's no reason that he can't do that at guard. I mean, their their offensive line could be even more solid, and uh, uh, they got a lot of pluses on the offensive side of the ball. And defensively, they obviously can rush the passer. Now, you know, everybody's going to have injuries. Now they've lost – they just lost an outside corner, Anthony Brown, for the rest of the year. They're a few weeks into having lost their starting slot corner, Jordan Davis, for the year, and that kind of stuff happens. So you got to have the depth. We'll see if they have the depth. You could make a case that they could get all the way to Arizona. Now, that would be a surprise to me, especially based on the way the offseason and the first month of the year went. But the way they're playing, they could do it. Looks to me on paper like there's a couple teams better than them. But you don't know what happens on the day. Mm-hmm. It's also possible that uh, they make the playoffs, uh, throw everything they have into beating Philadelphia on Christmas Eve, don't win that game, don't recover psychologically, and lose the first game again. Uh, that, that's equally possible. And that's the fun of it. Let, let's see what they're able to do, how they're able to handle those challenges. Everybody else's game gets ramped up when you get into the postseason. Um, they're going to have to beat some really, really, really good teams. And uh, that's what they will have to do if they want to be counted in that group. It could go either way. Excellent stuff, Brad, as always. want to thank you for the time. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday in the booth. Thanks, bud. Fantastic stuff right there. Even more fantastic is double O. Obo Okoronkwo with a little deep slant with DP Sidhu. That's next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this edition of Texans All Access from Monday Texans Radio Studio. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to bring on Obo Okoronkwo for a little deep slant interview with DP Sidhu. DP, take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, Obo Okoronkwo who just looked over my questions and he approves. <laughs> you approve of everything we're going to talk about this interview. There was one, but we'll, oh, there's... we'll talk about it. <laughs> I was like, I like I like it when players are like, let me see what you're going to ask. And then I feel super self-conscious and nervous. Like, oh, I feel like you're, you're going to look at my questions and wonder where I'm going with all this. Uh, let's start with the first sack of the season. You got your first sack as a Houston Texan. I like the shimmy move. 
Everyone's got their <laughs> sack celebration. So what was that about? So that was what I did uh, for my sack in the preseason. And I said I was going to do that for my first sack of the regular season. It came a little later than I expected, but I stayed, I stayed true to it. You did. You did. You had the shoulders. And that was, that's all new. That's like Houston Texans oh, exclusive yeah, yeah. move. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're not bringing that from the Rams. That's just your no, move yeah, here. Yeah, that's my Houston thing. All right. I like you. Le- Lovey says that he really likes the football you've been playing since you moved into the starting lineup. And the defense as uh, defensive line as a unit, he just really likes how you guys have been playing. So how, how has it been for you these past few weeks? On the defensive side of things, it's been, a, it's been fun. You know, we've been playing with a lot of energy. Um, I feel like we're playing well together right now. Um, we're getting JG, Jonathan Gennard back, so that's another really good player back. So yeah, we're excited about what we're doing on our side of the ball. We just want to stay consistent. How hard is it to stay consistent with – I mean, defensive line is so different from offensive line because offensive line you've got the same starting guys every week, but – you guys do a lot of rotations, a lot of rotational players, but the chemistry is always there, no matter who's in the mix. How do you guys keep that chemistry? Uh, just uh, hanging hanging out outside of football, you know. Uh, we really like each other as a group. You know, it's real. Uh, everybody's friends, and everybody helps each other, picks each other up, so it's easy on the field to have chemistry. All right, so we're playing Dallas this week, and a lot of players are not really super familiar with Houston-Dallas rivalry, but mm. you grew up in Houston. So what do you remember most about just – the Houston Dallas, not liking the Cowboys, living in Houston. What, what, what do you remember about that growing up? Um, I just know that like Dallas is just like our, our little sister, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, Dallas wants to. Well, I'm talking not the team, the city. The city as a yeah, whole. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say I don't, I don't talk crap like that. <laughs> no, no, I, I think this is funny because yeah. there is a big, there's a real city yeah, no, rivalry a, yeah, happening. Yeah, for sure. Like anybody from Dallas will tell you like. Like, they hate Houston, but they don't know why they hate Houston. Uh, we don't hate Houston. Uh, we don't hate Dallas. We just think that, you know, they're a little little. Sibling, yeah, yeah, a little, little sibling up yeah, north you know, that yeah. you visit every now and then when you have to. It's like a one-sided beef. Well, it kind of <laughs> is. But it, but it is fun every single year because yeah, even though you're sure. not in the same conference, it's it's always a big game. Oh, yeah, Fans for sure. love it. Um, as far as the Cowboys go, yeah, uh, as far as I can remember, Texans, Texans fans and Cowboys fans, uh, they butt heads a little bit. There's a lot of Cowboys fans in Houston, actually. Uh, so they live amongst us, as yeah, we always yeah. joke. Yeah, it's it's gross. It's, it's gross. Stuff. Yeah, we it's like expose <laughs> yourselves. All right, so you're back in Houston. You grew up playing football in a leaf. What's what's it like just being back home again? Uh, man, it feels really good. You know, uh, just being able to just just pull up on my family. You know, pull up to the old crib, just go see my mom. Uh, that's really cool. All right, I watched NFL City Life. You and Toby Nguigwe, who I just he's amazing as a rapper, as an actor. And he asked such a great question in that series. He said, what is your favorite football memory, including the Super Bowl? You said the Super Bowl. And then you also mentioned a memory from playing at A-Leaf. Oh, yeah, when I played uh, Katie for the first time. Was it Katie? It was yeah. the first time you said your parents had ever mm-hmm. seen you play. Yeah, I invited my – well, they didn't know I was playing. And, I'm well, my mom had an idea, but she hadn't seen me play. You just my, secretly practiced? You didn't want them to know? I mean, it wasn't that I didn't want them to know. If they knew, they would have pulled me out of football. Oh, okay. So what did they want you to do? Pharm- wanted to me wanted me to be a pharmacist or a lawyer or something Steady. like that. Yeah, and I'm here. <laughs> okay, so so that game so you played against Katie and mm-hmm. I think you're underselling how well you played. Uh, I mean, you had a pretty good game. I had a, I had a, I had a decent game. Uh, it was it was fun. Like I feel like that game uh, it helped a lot with my recruitment. Sure, to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, are you you give a lot of credit to A Leaf just in general growing up there. One hundred percent. All the creativity, the athletes, the artists that come out of there. You know. I love that Toby called it the capital of the, Houston. The mecca of Houston. A-Leaf is the mecca <laughs> of Houston. What is it about Houston that you think most people outside of Houston don't know about it as a city? Or in A-Leaf in general? I'll say just the, 
the amount of creative minds that come out of A-Leaf. You know, there's a lot of people that might not have, like, you know, those big names, but, like, they've worked on a, a, a number of things that, like, we all love, you know. I think uh, A-Leaf is just, like, that creative hub of Houston, you know, so it's pretty cool. I have friends that grew up in A-Leaf, and they don't say they're from Houston. They say they're from A-Leaf. Oh, yeah. And a- there's a definite line of, like, this is A-Leaf and this is Houston. Oh, yeah, so de- it's definitely a pride thing. A-Leaf is definitely Houston, though, you know. We're it is a- Houston, yeah. but you like to specify, like, <laughs> yeah, it's A-Leaf. Sure. It's mm-hmm. A-Leaf Houston. Or how did you meet Toby? Because he's up for a Grammy for Best um, New Artist, even though he's not a new artist. Very talented guy, an actor as well. And you two sort of chopped it up on this crazy on this thing. Show. Crazy, really, like really crazy. Um, I met Toby about a couple of weeks before we filmed that. Um, okay. Uh, it was our bye week, and we were on the, we were on the same flight. Uh, he was in the same row as me. Oh, okay. Plane, and that's how we met because we both uh, recognized each other. Like, hey, you're. Oh, like, here hey, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We started chopping it up. It was cool. It was a, it was a coincidence. Yeah, and now you you guys are both in yeah, Houston, uh, and you get to hang cool. out. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a lot of his stuff that he's acted yeah, in? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I watched uh, I watched Mo on A Leaf. I mean, I watched Mo. On, well, that's uh, where I was Netflix. going with it because yeah, uh, Mo was filmed I, in A Leaf. Yeah, I been I binge watched them like a day. So yeah. same. Yeah, it was good. I feel like you should make an appearance on that. I mean, if maybe acted, season two. I've never acted. Before. Mo might be yeah. making an appearance at one of the Texans games. Oh yeah, if he does that, I'll, I'll holler at him. Yeah, I know. I'm a big, I'm a big fan yeah, I'm a as big well. Fan. I, yeah, I feel like a, but really, that really put a leaf on the map just to have a show centered around it. How about you? You recently had a private shopping event that oh, we yeah. filmed. So, mm-hmm. how did you get the brands and the labels and the clothes and the people together for that? Um, it, it was done through Threads. I don't know if you know the company Threads. Okay. They like, they like source clothes and style and. Just a bunch of all things fashion, and um, one of my friends, she's like she works for them. She does, she creates events for them. She asked me if uh, they they are based in like Europe and New York, and they asked if like the, if I thought Houston had like you know just just I guess the an audience for that. Okay. And they and I was like yeah for sure you know and then I uh, ended up hosting the event with my with my uh, best friend Nandi, and it went really well. So how does Houston fashion, like, what is your style like? Because you've lived in L.A., you lived here, you've traveled all over the world. How do you describe your fashion? I like, I like wearing things that, like, I guess uh, that take, you, take a while for, like, to resonate. You know, you might not like it. Really? You, you might not like, like it immediately. What is that yeah, that uh-huh. he's wearing? Oh, you, you might like, like that reaction. Uh-huh. You might not like it initially, but it'll grow on you. Okay. Well, you picked out something in that video that I think people would notice. Which did one? you buy the watch? Oh yeah, I did. Okay. Oh, you, I mean Rolex. I, I, I bought the Rolex. My financial advisor, when he sees this, he's gonna kill me. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so we're uh, it's a little bit of a secret. You, I mean, you're in the NFL now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm 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 pretty strict with my budget though. So. Okay, so that was like a splurge. For sure. I can respect a splurge yeah, uh, yeah, when you're sure. on a budget. How about Larry? Larry Tunsil actually said that of all the the te- of all of his teammates, he's big into fashion too. Mm-hmm. He named you as one of the most fashionable ones. I think he. Uh, yeah, I say the same about him. You do. You know, I think, okay. I think because he's an old lineman, he doesn't get as much credit. But I think he's one of the more fashionable people in the NFL. All right. What about uh, other teammates or other players whose fashion you like? Uh, I like uh, I like Trey. He, he listed Traymond yeah, Smith yeah. as well. I like Trey. Mm-hmm. I like Trey. Um, I like Malik. Like, you know, oh, okay. Like Malik. He has his own style. Yeah, for a big guy. Yeah, it's, yeah, huh? It's like, hard to yeah, dress well, I think. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have the guys like like Jonathan Owens. You know, he'll put on a nice suit. Yeah, the DBs always sort of yeah, bring yeah, it. That's, that's, yeah. yeah, DBs and receivers, you you expect them. You would to, expect, yeah. but I think this team's different. It's like O-line, D-line, you yeah, know, yeah, sort of the, all over the, the place. The big guys got the drip. The big guys <laughs> got the drip. 
All right, Obo, looking forward to seeing what you do with the rest of the season. Congrats on the sack, and uh, thanks so much. Thank you. A-Leafs on, baby. Obo Okoronkwo. Awesome stuff there with DP Sitter. All right, we get back. Let's go a little in the lab. Drew Doherty and I kick it around next right here on Texans All Access. We go on the final segment of this edition of Texans All Access from Monday Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And today's stats challenge is brought to you by SLB. Visit HoustonTexans.com today to register to take the stats challenge. And that number is 129.8. As much as we would love for that to be the quarterback rating of Davis Mills on Sunday, that the rushing yards allowed by the Cowboys defense. It's 24th in the NFL. For as great a team as it is, teams run on them. They don't throw it much. 179.8. That's second in the league. Passing yards given up. So Davis Mills, who will start on Sunday, he's got his work cut out. But can they run the ball and control the clock? That would be awesome. What is awesome is in the lab with Drew Doherty and myself. Let's dive in. Drew, let's go. It's here, John. Cowboys week. It's oh another boy. it's another week. You know, every <laughs> yeah. week is a big week in yeah. in the NFL, but it's been different. Last week was the Browns week with Deshaun coming back. This week it's Cowboys week. And holy moly, they smoked the Colts. But you don't get to play the Cowboys but every four years. Yeah. Every four years, every though, four it's years. a big, big, big buildup. And here we are, John. I always get excited about it. I always get really nervous. When I remember the first one I went to was 2010 here, and I was covering it for a different radio station. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, boy, there's a different vibe in this yeah. building than the three years that I had seen prior to that. You were 2-0. and Yeah. And, of course, then the Cowboys put one on us in 2010. I was like, man. But it really was in 2014 going up there. That was my first year on the sidelines, uh, my first year being around you and – and everybody, and I just remember you and I talked about that 2010 game a little bit and how crazy I thought that was. And I remember you saying, like, I got a feeling this is going to be pretty crazy, too. And then you look around, and you saw red everywhere. I'm like, It was Man. a college football was game because it was half and half, yeah. basically. They had to go to silent count. That was amazing. That's the a, Cowboys did in that was silent amazing. count because of the Texans fans that showed up. I remember them saying that. I remember Tony Romo saying that. I'm like, holy cow. Like we were, we were getting that out there everywhere we could. Look, they had to go to the silent count on their own <laughs> building. That was huge. And then the game itself was great up until the game winning field goal that didn't go our way. But we didn't give the ball to Arian Foster. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Well, exactly. He was the one that got us in and that second got us back in that second half. But that environment that day, I always felt like it was so unique because you mentioned it. Whenever you play an NFL game, you never play an NFL game in neutral site unless it's Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's going to be a whole different ball of wax down the road. So from that perspective, the the environment that was almost 50-50, I just never forget Andre Johnson standing in the end zone after Arian had scored. And the play mm-hmm. was opposite him. So the play went to the right, and Andre was to the left. And after we scored to tie it, to send it to overtime, Andre was just in the corner and our radio booth is up in that corner, but he was looking at all our fans in the corner, and he was just pumping his arms and getting real excited. And that's why I wanted to win that game like more than anything mm-hmm. was because those guys had not beaten Dallas, and they had that opportunity to do it. And, of course, it didn't happen that day. But I just remember being on a bus on the way home. I turned to Mark and went, I've never been in something like that for that reason. And yeah. I, I, don't, I think a lot of us in that building have been that way. We've been a probably split, you know, 50-50 you know, college games. Well, of course. And, you yeah. know, neutral side. I used to go to Florida, Georgia all the time. 
and that was split. That was split. Bowl games. You cover a bowl yeah, game. bowl games. Yeah. But I did not see anything like that. So we'll see how many fans go up there uh, for this one. But these guys are good. These guys are really good. We talked to Nick Casario earlier this week, and, and the first thing he said, it was, it was like, almost like Captain Obvious, but I know exactly what he was saying. He was like, these guys are good. And yeah. You could tell the way he was saying it, like his eyes, like, okay. They're not just like, you know, they're good. These guys are really, they're really good. They're complete. Um, and they've got elite talent at a lot of different a lot of different spots on that roster. Um, they're a lot like the Eagles in that regard. They've got a lot of different um, a lot of different studs, a lot of different spots. So you got to go in there, as they say, and hit the 800-pound gorilla right in the mouth and see how they respond. Yeah, you know, we hit a stretch over the last month and a half or so where you were you were seeing great defensive linemen on the interior, but there was also a stretch there earlier, you know, overlapping with that, where you were you were hit, hitting some run games, man. Oh, yeah. Holy moly! Well, that's back. Yes, that duo, goodness gracious, and you can go with either one, yep. but. Pollard, mm-hmm. yikes, John, yikes! And then before, Ooh. after we get into that, we got to get we got to rewind a little bit to last weekend, which meshes with this 2014 game that we mentioned. Yeah. But go ahead. Pollard and Elliott fit so well together, and I remember when Pollard was drafted. That was what I said. It was like, man, I think he's going to complement Zeke really well. I think it's actually kind of flipped now. Absolutely. I think I think Elliott is the compliment to Pollard. Pollard's got that out of the backfield quickness. He's got the the route running. I mean, he is dynamic out in the flat, catching the football in space. But he also runs really hard between the tackles and they've done a really nice job without Tyron Smith playing Tyler Smith at left tackle the rookie. He's he's had some really good moments this year. He had a really good game last game. So Elliot compliments Pollard now, where it used to be the other way around. So you get a handle on Pollard running all those routes and out in space, and all of a sudden here comes Zeke. Boom, boom, boom. And he's still got some juice. I felt like a couple of years ago, maybe he's starting to lose that juice. He's still got that juice. And I think because Pollard has taken a lot of that that uh, that hammering off of Elliot, mm-hmm. he's fresher at the end of games. He's fresher at the end of season. So that running back tandem, you think about what we have faced at the running back position this year. I think this is the best tandem that we've seen. Yeah, we've seen better backs. Right. Individually, yes. But absolutely. we haven't seen this this tandem like you're talking yeah. about that can play together at such a high, high level. Yeah. That comes very close to some of these best backs that we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we think about facing, would you rather face Derek Henry or would you rather face Pollard and Elliott? Right. And it's like, man, I, I don't know. Run, de- run defense is coming around a little bit. It's playing a little bit better. I mean, you got mm-hmm. the safety last week, stuffing Nick Chubb in the end zone. Last year's or last week's group, Chubb and Hunt, pretty good. But it's the way these two are fitting together in Dallas, um, I think, is, is very, very interesting. I don't want to say Chubb and Hunt are the same guy, but they're doing similar things with them. They're not doing similar things with Pollard and Elliott. They're doing much different things. So as a defense, you have to recognize, okay, is this Zeke? Okay, this is probably more run, maybe more boot and play action. With Pollard, there are all kinds of things that they can do. How are they going to get him the football? The linebackers are going to be on full alert when 20, Tony Pollard has got the football or when he is, wherever he is, they're going to have to have their eyes on him and know what he can do at that spot. In that 43 win over the, the Vikings, the Vikings decided to play man coverage on Tony Pollard, and he just smoked an inside linebacker. He just smoked Hicks. Mm-hmm. He just ran right by him. Dax just got thrown out there. 
Uh, and then, of course, there's Dak Prescott, too, because I think he's the perfect perfect fit for that offense right now. I think he's playing well. The whole offense is playing well, and they're hot. So you got to go in there, and hopefully they overlook you a little bit because of the record, and you go in there and, and bust them right in the mouth. Now, would you say you were the Ed Reed of the Brown football team, oh, or were gosh. you the Ronnie Lott of the Brown football team? Um, I was pro- probably more like the Shiloh K.O. of the Brown Shiloh football K- team. Shiloh K.O., okay. Well, there's been a, f- a little bit of a switch position-wise over the last few weeks. Jalen Petrie been playing some free safety. Yep, we heard absolutely. about it from Lovey Smith post-game. We heard about it from Jalen Petrie post-game. And I'm sure Joe Dana, when he talks with the media yep. on Thursday, is going to get asked about it and talk talk about it. But it's been a nice move because what did we see from Petrie when he was at Baylor? He was all over the place. He was all kind over. of playing close to the line of scrimmage. But over the last couple of weeks, he's been you know more of a free safety type. And this has been a very advantageous switch for him. Wouldn't you agree? They've both said it, but I want to hear it from you, a guy who's yeah. played the position at a pretty high level in college. What's it been like for him? What have you seen in that regard? Well, I think when you have a uh, when you have a guy that has a high football IQ, free safety is a great spot for him because mm-hmm. you see everything. You don't always end up in man coverage. A lot of times, as free safety, you're going to play cover two, cover four. You're going to play uh, you know two safety high looks, and both safeties are playing it at that point. But when you go to single safety high looks, you're playing cover one, so you're free to roam. Cover three, you got middle of the field coverage. Um, and some other things that you can do in a single high safety look, I think that benefits a really smart athletic football player back there. And I think that's the way the coaching staff looked at it and said, look, because of the coverages we play, maybe Jalen's a better fit back there. And I think what Jalen was able to do, he last week, and we talked with with Nick and Lovey about this, the play that he makes in the interception, I, I don't think got enough credit. I think people were excited. It was a third interception. He finally caught one. I don't think people – Gave enough credit. He did a little bit of baiting on that one. He did. He? The The Browns ran what's called a Mills route. Essentially, it's a post with a dig. And so the, the premise is it's perfect against cover three because you force the free safety have to make a decision. And a lot of times, a free safety with bad eyes will see that dig and, boom, I'm jumping on that, especially down in the red zone. Mm-hmm. You jump on that dig, and then, boom, they stick the post behind you. So if you stay with the post, they'll stick the dig. If you go to the dig, they'll hit the post. Well, he started to go with the dig. And then he realized what was happening, and he immediately stopped and peeled back and went the other way. And I don't think Deshaun, with Dwumfor in his face, was able to see Jalen going back. I think he saw Jalen starting the dig. Dwumfor, very underrated part yes. of that play. Very, he Absolutely. planted and planted Deshaun. It was yeah. a great, great move. He hoped through yeah. those two guys. Yeah. I mean, he went right through the double team. And, and I don't think because Dwumfor is right there in Deshaun's face, Deshaun didn't see Jalen redirect back mm-hmm. i think he saw him initially in the dig so he made the right read but with dump four in his face he couldn't see it and so jalen jumped that post route got the interception it was so perfectly played mm-hmm. it was so perfectly played good that's, return to yeah that's the way joe dan i guarantee you um taught it and that's the way they teach it you're gonna they're gonna run mills route post dig how do you play that if the dig is coming across and it continues on you let your and that's what exactly what happened. Desmond King dropped back into his zone. The dig was getting there. King picked it up. He dropped off. Petrie dropped off and made the pick. That's just a brilliant, smart football play. Yeah. And when you're athletic, and you work as hard as he does, both in the meeting room, watching film, out on the field, you're going to end up with those plays. And so moving him back to free safety, I felt like was the just a brilliant, brilliant move 
And hopefully we're going to see more of that from Jalen Petrie just kind of taking charge. And he reminds me a little bit of, from that in that way of Jesse Bates from the Bengals mm. with that kind of range, playing free safety. Mm. I think Jalen's probably a better tackler, whereas Jesse might be a little bit better in, in deeper coverage right now. Yeah. Um, but I think they're both similar in that way. Smart, athletic, get to the football, make good, solid tackles, but yet a force in pass coverage in the middle of the field. And that's what we need Jalen Petrie to be. If he's going to stay free safety, which I'd imagine that he will. I'm glad you brought up Andre Johnson and Arian Foster earlier because I, they were both here at the game on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And I actually were. got a chance to say hello and catch up just a little bit yeah, with yeah. Arian after yeah. the game. And it was good. I, I saw him and I said, dude, you look like you could still go get 75, 80 yards. He's like, no, 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 no. But he still looks good. <laughs> he looks like he's in rest. shape. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I was like, what well, did you get to see and, and interact with any any old faces? And he's like, yeah, man, it was great to see Andre. It was great yeah. to see Chester Pitts, yep. Travis Johnson. So it was fun, uh, fun, just very, very briefly catching up with him and seeing him around I'm, the building. And I want to see him more in the building. Absolutely, man. He's one of our greats. Yep, absolutely. I mean, just so many fun, fun memories of that guy. And it was good to see Arian Foster. So uh, Arian, if somehow or some way you're listening to this, yeah, man, miss you, bro. Come, come on back. in the lab. You come in the lab will. with us. That'd be awesome. Always, always, boy, that would be that would be something else. John, I always love doing this with you, my friend. Yeah, man, it, it's gonna be fun. It's been a, a an ugly season when you when you've lost ten games. It's uh, it's ugly. It's UGLY. You ain't got no alibi. There are lots of alibis, but I can't wait for this game because, like we mentioned earlier on, it's always always fun. Yep. playing the Dallas Cowboys. There you have it, a little in the lab with Drew Doherty and myself. And a big thanks to Drew, to TP, to Obo Karankwa, to Mark Vandermeer, Brad Sham, and, of course, Nick Casario. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.